And if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you open up to the New Testament in the book of Galatians to chapter 5. We'll be looking at a couple verses here this evening. Um, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. And before we get into that, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer um, and just ask His blessing upon our time together. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you so much, Lord, just for the time of worship that we've had, Lord, the opportunity we've had to take part in, in communion, and, and Lord, just to celebrate that. And God, you truly are an amazing God. Lord, none of us deserve you, and yet, God, you still chose, Lord, to allow us to be yours through Christ. God, tonight we have come here, Lord, to, to learn. We've come here, Lord, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, be challenged. Father God, tonight, Lord, your word we know is powerful. It, it moves, God, as we read it in our hearts. As it's spoken, God, it does something inside of us, God. And, and that's my prayer tonight, Lord, is that you would move. Move in hearts and minds, God. Not through my words, but, Lord, through yours. God, I submit myself to you, Lord, in these moments. And pray, God, that you would just speak to me, to me and, and to your people through me, Lord. God, I pray that you would remove any distractions from this place. Lord, help us just to be able to put out of our minds anything else but you, God, in these moments. And through that, God, I pray that you would receive all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, one of the things about me is I'm kind of like a history nut. I love to watch um, all kinds of history stuff. But one thing in particular I find really interesting is, you know, whether it's reading stuff about it or watching stuff about war and about battles and all these different things from ancient warfare to modern times. I don't know why, just something that intrigues me and you know the thing is is war has been around as long as um, pretty much as, as humans have been around um, for, for centuries and centuries and it's interesting to me to especially hear eyewitness testimony of people that fought in battles. It's like um, a crazy thing on YouTube. Um, I found a Civil War soldier that was recorded like in the 1920s talking about the battles of the Civil War that just for some reason it intrigued me. And yet, you know, even though I've watched a lot of films and read a lot of stuff about war and battles, I've personally never been in one. Not like that anyways. And my knowledge really is limited to what I can see and to what I can read. But although I can tell you I've never fought in a war like that, what I can tell you is that I do fight another war every single day. And so do you. It's a war that never seems to end. In fact, as we'll see today, it's actually a war that every single one of us who know Christ are fighting as individuals. And it's as the title says, it's this war that is within us. It's a war that is a war of the will. It's a war of the mind. It's a war that, that goes on inside of us where part of us has this innate desire to do wrong, to do evil, and yet as a Christian especially, there's this part of us that desires to do good, to do things that honor the Lord. It's like the Spirit of God's in us moving, and at the same time there's just something else in us that is working, trying to pull us the other direction. It's a war, at least in my life, and I'm sure you can understand, brings incredible frustration at times, and at other times we experience incredible victories 
enjoy. It's a war that goes on moment by moment, day after day, year after year. Unfortunately, a, a war that as long as we have breath in our lungs is going to exist. And yet, as we see today, it's a war we don't have to lose. It's a war that can be won. It's a war that we can be victorious in it if we fight it God's way. And this is what we're going to be talking about here this evening. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So the book of Galatians was actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to um, the churches in the region of Galatia, which is today what we know as modern-day Turkey. There were a bunch of churches kind of scattered throughout that region, and this letter that Paul wrote was kind of delivered to each one of these churches. Now, these churches were, the vast majority of them were non-Jewish people at the time. They were, meaning they were Gentiles, people that weren't used to, to living under what the Jews were living under as far as the law was concerned for all those centuries. These were new converts, new believers, newly introduced to Jesus. When Paul started those churches, everything was going well, but after a short amount of time, some Jews actually had infiltrated these churches, and they were, they're known in Scripture as Judaizers. And essentially what was going on in these churches, this is kind of the context of this letter, was that these, these Jews, they really weren't saved, they weren't Christians, although they were professing to be. What they were telling these non-Jewish Christians was that for truly to be accepted by God, for truly to be saved by God, not only did they need Jesus, but they also had to submit to the Mosaic Law. For the men, that meant getting circumcised. It meant going to the temple to worship, doing all those old customs that they used to do. And then if you do that and add Jesus to it, then you will be saved. So essentially what they were saying was, was that salvation required you to do something. It required some sort of work, some sort of effort on your behalf to be able to be acceptable to the Lord. And essentially what they were really saying was what Christ did on the cross wasn't sufficient that we needed to do something also to add to what Christ did to make us acceptable to the Lord. And so to combat this, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter um, and to try to explain in great detail that people who think that they're working for their salvation are working in vain because it's absolutely impossible. And in fact, in chapter 1, he talks about people that, that teach this um, this way of salvation, people who, have, um, who, who grab onto this way of salvation, it, to them is this Greek word called anathema, which means to be accursed by God. Essentially, what, what Paul was saying was, is if you hold to this truth that you've got to do something to be saved, that, that Christ's blood and death on the cross, his resurrection isn't good enough, then your salvation is actually false. It's actually not true because it's not based even on the right 
In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, just a few verses before this one, he says, if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ and have fallen away from God's grace. And so the, the big point of the book of Galatians is that salvation is only possible by faith and not human effort. When it comes to our lives, salvation can only come by placing our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, meaning a belief that what he accomplished on that cross, what he accomplished when he died and rose again was good enough. That in itself is, was satisfactory to God. It satisfied God's wrath for sinful men, and us just placing our faith in that is all we need to be saved. So what this looks like practically in a person's life even still today, it's this recognition that we are sinners, that we, there's a holy God out there, and because of our sin, we're separated. Now the question is, is how do sinners get back in right relationship with the holy God? Some people even today view that we need to do good things. We need to be good. We need to be kind to people. We need to give. We need to be charitable. We need to come to church. We need to do these things. That's adding to the gospel. All we need to do to be saved is to look at what Christ did, recognize that we're in a sinner, and believe in that that is good enough to save us. And then in faith we say, Jesus, will you come into my life, forgive me of my sins, be my Lord, be my Savior, and give me the ability to live for That is salvation. Leaning completely, 100% on what Jesus did, not on what we could do. That is the only way salvation happens. It's profound and yet extremely, extremely simple. Now, as this letter of Galatians progresses, the Apostle Paul then uses this truth about salvation really as a springboard to deal with the issue that he's dealing with here in these two particular verses, which kind of leads us back to where we're going with this today. Just like a person looking to the law inhibits them from salvation in like manner, Christians that place themselves back under that mindset, actually inhibit their sanctification or their being made more in the likeness of Christ. From the moment we're saved, a couple weeks ago we talked about in heaven, we're, we're, we're totally righteous, but practically on earth we're not there yet. We, we, this, uh, this process of sanctification happens over a period of time as, as God removes things from our lives and adds more of Christ to our lives day by day, year by year, moment by moment, we look more like Jesus. But here is kind of what happens so often in the Christian life, because it's so natural for us to do this. Even though today we would never look at the Mosaic law as a means of salvation, that we have to do this and do that and go to the temple and, and do these feast celebrations and all these different things, we would never do that today as Christians, right? But here's what we do do. We still live in like manner. Because we replace stuff like going to the temple with going to church as a means of God accepting us. We, we replace reading, citing passages from the Torah to believing that if God's going to accept us, we have to get at his word. And so on. Just like they were to follow the Ten Commandments and they follow those things to the T. To us, it's, boy, I really got to watch my mouth, and I, and I really got to stop watching this or that. I really got to stop doing this or that. And, and in doing so, what we have done essentially is placed ourselves back under 
law, and that's essentially is what these two verses are talking about. And if we do that, that is a very, very big problem for our lives. You know, as Christians, the biggest issue we have is this war that is going on right here in our heads. The truth is, this daily war goes something like this. As Christians, we know that there are things in this book, the Bible, that tell us what we are supposed to do and what we are not supposed to do, right? We know this. But have you noticed this? really annoying and frustrating thing about your Christian life, that even though you know the things you're supposed to do, there's just something inside of you that just doesn't feel like it? Or maybe if you notice this, that although you've read things and you know that I shouldn't do this, this, or that, that there's just some nagging voice inside of you that says, do it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Is this not a very real war that we deal with in our lives? In the midst of this struggle, you can't help but wonder, like, what in the world is wrong with me, God? Why do I keep messing up? What's wrong with me that I can't quit tripping over myself? And this conversation goes on in our heads. Like, I'm trying so hard to do the right things, but it seems like the harder I try, the more I'm tempted to do the opposite. What is wrong with me? And in this battle of the mind, we often look at God and, and look at him as him being up in heaven, shaking his head, going, what a hot mess these people are. You ever feel like that? That God views you that way because you, you can't straighten your life out? And then in those moments, you feel like an absolute failure because no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get it right. That's the war that we face as Christians. The question is, is, is how, do we get, how do we win that battle? Because it seems like it's a never-ending one. And it seems, at least in my life, so often, like, I lose. And I want to be on the winning side. How do we do it? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about here today in these couple verses. And the key, as we'll see in a little bit, is that we've got to quit fighting so hard and instead throw our hands up and surrender. So the first thing I want to talk about here as we jump back into the passage is I just want to gain a little bit of understanding of this war that we're facing, the nature of this war. In verse 17, again, I want to read, it says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. That's that war that's going on inside of us. So that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So just like any earthly war that has two opposing sides that is battling for a specific purpose and a specific goal, that is exactly what is going on inside of us. As Christians, right, we have two parts. We have this sinful nature. If you have older translations, it, it would say the flesh, or, and we also have the Holy Spirit of God that has made his residence in us. These are the two specific sides, and the purpose of this war is for who has control of our lives. Now we can see here that our sinful nature has desires for us, and the Holy Spirit has desires for us. 
The desires of the sinful nature or our flesh is evil. The desires of the Holy Spirit are good. And these two forces are inside of us constantly fighting for control of our lives. And which one we surrender ourselves to will determine who wins. So a really frustrating truth to me about Scripture, because it's where we find all this, is that we all have this, what I'm going to call, fierce monster inside of us that is our sinful nature. Like from the moment sin came into this world, from the moment the first man, Adam, sinned and messed up, right? He, he ate that fruit. Sin was brought in and this, this curse was given. And, and that curse, unfortunately, passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. Every person that is born is born into sin. The psalmist uh, and David said in Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me even. This is the human condition. We have a fallen side of us, a, a sinful nature, if you will, that, that we're born with, that we have to deal with, that we have to live with each and every moment of each and every day. And here's where the real problem comes in. It's not just that we're living in fallen, sinful bodies. We're living in a fallen, sinful world that is controlled by fallen, sinful angels, which the chief one is Satan and his minions. Scripture talks about him as the, the lower G God of this world, the one who has great influence upon everything that you look at. Everything that you see has the finger of Satan somewhere that's on it. And for whatever reason, this monster that's inside of us wants the things of this world. If, if you look at verse 16, it, it says there that the, then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. So it tells us there that our sinful nature has cravings. Well, what is that craving? It tells us there in verse 17, it wants to do evil. Our sinful nature is drawn to evil things. In fact, if you look down in your Bible, it's just a couple of verses down, it talks about when you follow that sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is what our sin nature, the part of us that has fallen, this is what it's drawn to in this world. Started in verse 19, it's drawn to sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That, that's what that part of us, that sin nature part of us, that flesh, it is drawn naturally to those things. Like, doesn't it amaze you how it seems that you're naturally drawn to things that you just know aren't right? It's amazing how we are tempted to think that sinful things will somehow bring satisfaction to us. It's amazing that we've faced, we're faced with these things at every corner, no matter where we go throughout the day, whether we're in the quietness of our home or we go to the store or to work, we're, these, we're bombarded by these things that there's something in us that is absolutely just drawn to you. Do you think that by, that's by accident? No. It's because Satan, who has great influence over this world, has placed all of these things in our past to trip us up. The Bible speaks of Satan as, as, as a thief who only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. As a, as a, as a lion who is waiting to pounce, seeking someone to 
devour. See, Satan knows this, and he works overtime to make sure that we are tempted, that these cravings of our sin nature are satisfied. What are the things this world offers that satisfies the cravings of our sinful nature? They're, they're everywhere. 1 John 2.16 tells it like this, the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. In other words, things that are all about, guess what, me, me, me. What satisfies me, what makes me happy, what makes me feel good, what can I do to get physical pleasure? Can I tell you, this is why so many people struggle, struggle with sexual sin, struggle with sensual things. This is why people deal with substance abuse, because that sinful nature is drawn to these things. Can I tell you something? This is why people get a high off of telling somebody off. You ever just have one of those moments like you just run into somebody who drives you crazy and just something inside of you just wants to spew at them? And it's just like, ooh, it feels good when you get done. Got it off my chest. Why is that? Because it makes us feel vindicated. Sometimes it, it gives us a sense of power over them. We get something off of our mind and it makes us feel good. As that verse talked about the cravings for everything we see, our sin nature is never satisfied with what we have. It always wants more. No matter how much money you have, it ain't never enough, is it? Just a little more. We have nice stuff, but boy, it'd be nice to have that other stuff. Got a pretty good life, but it's never quite enough. We're always reaching for more. Why? Because it gives us a sense of self-worth. It, it gives us a sense of what? As that verse said, pride in our achievements and possessions. Look at me, everyone. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look how successful I am. Look how amazing of a person that I have become. All of these things are what our sinful nature inside of us is drawn to. And you know the real big problem with that is just like in war, if we give in to that side, there are casualties in war. Especially in this war, there are casualties everywhere. You know, every evil thing we see in this world, every problem in this world, goes back to this problem right here. The sinful nature that craves all of these things. This is why there's so much brokenness in the world. Every war that this world has ever seen can be traced to that very thing. Death, disease, traced to that very thing. Every person that is in prison right now, traced to that very thing. Every marriage that has been destroyed, traced to that very thing. Every kid's life that's been ruined, traced to that very thing. Friendships traced to that very thing. It's destroyed careers, it's destroyed churches, it's destroyed society as a whole. All the problems we see are a result of this sinful nature inside of us and its cravings. Why do we struggle so much? Because as Jeremiah, the prophet in Jeremiah 17, 9 says, he says, and remember this is one of the most righteous men that ever walked the earth. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
And he says, who can know it? And you know the real big problem with our sinful nature? Is that there is no end to the depths of the evil it craves. There's no end. All of our sinful tendencies that we have are because of this monster that is living inside of us that is drawn to all these things that that other monster Satan has put out in front of us. And our sinful nature because of all these things is drooling all the time in desires to be satisfied. That's a tough one, isn't it? (laughs) I don't like that part of the message. Here's the good part. That's not the only force that's in us. There's another one, a greater power that's in us, if you know Christ at least as a Savior, as your Savior, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the very presence of God that is in us in verse 17, where the spirit, where the, where the, where the flesh, that sinful nature, gives us evil desires. Verse 17 says the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. Where our sinful nature tries to get us to do sinful things and satisfy its cravings, the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is trying to get us to do good things. To do things God's way, to not do evil, but to abstain from evil and from sinful things. Why? For a way different reason than the sinful nature is trying to satisfy itself. The sinful nature is all about itself. It's all about me, 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 satisfying me. I want this, I want that, right? And it, it don't care about the consequences. It don't care about the casualties of war. But the Holy Spirit inside of us is different. He ain't doing it for himself. He's doing it for who? It's just for us. Because the Holy Spirit, of his side of, Holy Spirit inside of us, he knows how devastating sin is. He knows if we go down this path where it's going to lead. And so he is working in us as Christians, as his people, working hard, trying to get us to abstain from those things because he knows where it leads. And these two are constantly at war with one another. So question, if God is fighting for us, why do we so often lose the battle? Is it because our sinful nature is more powerful than the Holy Spirit? Obviously not. Which comes back to kind of this major point that the Apostle Paul is making here in the book of Galatians. So again, remembering the context of this book, how it relates to what we're talking about now. Salvation by faith alone, not by works, right? Only by the blood of Christ. No matter how hard we try, we could never ever save ourselves, right? Impossible, absolutely can't do it. Why? Because no matter how hard we try, here's what's inevitable, sin. And guess how many sins it takes to get separated from God? That many. It ain't just the murderers and the rapists going to hell. Scripture also said it's, it's the liars and the gospers and the... Just one. Just one will do it. Why can't we be good enough? And this really goes, that, that question really speaks to the heart of what he's talking about here. Why is it that even if we try really, really hard, we're going to fall on our face? The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 7. It's a kind of what you would call a parallel passage in Scripture, meaning he's speaking about the same thing in two different books. In Romans 7, five through, verses 5 through 13, listen to what he says here. 
When we were controlled by the old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these sinful, evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Well then, in verse 7, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I, I learned the command, say not to covet, for instance... The power of sin came to life and I died. And so I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me, and it used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can this be? Did the law, which which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. And so we can see how terrible sin really is because it uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. In a nutshell, here's what this means. When we place ourselves back under law, I might, don't, don't even think about Mosaic law. I'm just talking about don't cuss. Don't look at that woman that way. Don't get angry and, and spot off at somebody, right? We, we set it in our mind. I'm not going to do this. This is wrong, and I'm not going to do it. You know what happens? This sinful nature that's inside of us comes to life. And it will work harder than it's ever worked for one purpose, to get us to do that very thing we know that is wrong. And no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, guaranteed, if the only power we're fighting is, 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 is ours, that sinful nature will win every single time. That's what he's saying here. This is the conflict that's going on inside of us. As Christians, we know that sin is wrong. We know that there are things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. And because of that, what's our tendency? We want to please God. We want God to be happy with us. We want God to accept us. Right? I mean, for a Christian, I mean, that's a natural thing. We, we want God to be pleased. We want God to accept us. We want Him to be happy. And so because of those things, we try really, really hard to obey the rules. What's the problem with that? Like, what's so wrong with that? What's wrong with that is our sinful nature. If all we focus on in our lives are the do's and the don'ts, we have placed ourselves back under law. And because of that, we're bound for failure. Because 1 Corinthians 16, 56 says that law gives sin its power. See, if we focus our Christian lives on trying to be good, our sin nature inside of us takes over. We do not have the strength in ourselves to win the war. Why? Because the reality of our lives is this. Our sin nature that craves sinful things does not sit idly by while the Spirit tries to make us more like Jesus. The Spirit's fighting hard, but you know what happens? The heart of the Holy Spirit fights, the heart of the sinful nature fights against it. This is the war that is going on inside of us. Like, have you ever noticed when you really want to do right that there's this nagging urge to do the opposite? Have you noticed that when you try really, really hard to be patient, you inevitably inevitably encounter a buffoon? 
Somebody that just gets under your skin? Isn't that crazy? Have you ever noticed when you're really trying to be nicer to people that that stinking person does something more irritating than he did yesterday? And then you just come unglued? How about this, guys? I'm just saying this because this is relevant to the man. Have you ever noticed that when you're trying really, really hard to guard your eyes that you go to the grocery store and what's there in the rack? It's always some half-dressed woman or some lady walks by you. It's there. It, it, the fight is absolutely real. Maybe you're like, man, I'm, I'm going to try really hard to wash my mouth. Then inevitably you smack your little pinky toe on the stinking coffee table. And what comes out? You know? It's not by accident. These things, Satan is fighting tooth and nail to keep our sinful flesh fed. And if we are fighting in our own strength, we fail every single time. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, said this in the rest of Romans chapter 7, in verses 18 through 25, speaking of this own battle that was going on inside of him. Listen to what he says. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. Well, really? Isn't he the one making the decisions? But he says, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's another power within me at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he gives the answer in verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, so you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. This was Paul. The apostle. The apostle of apostles, Paul. He dealt with the war within him as well. Which brings us then to the good part. So if this is a reality, if we can't win this war on our own, how do we win? And so understanding the path of victory, look at verse 16. And he says, so let the Holy Spirit guide your life and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Victory in our lives will be determined by who controls our lives. Because look at the end of verse 17, he says, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. No matter how hard you try to be good, you will be under the control of one of two entities. You don't have to, you're not making up your own mind. Another entity is making it up for you. Either the sinful nature that's in you or the Holy Spirit of God that is in you. And the million dollar question is, how do we get control of our life to the Holy Spirit? So if this is true, if, if it doesn't just come by flat-out effort, really trying hard, if the only way to do it is to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, then how does that happen? And there is a really a fine line to this, right? And it's all about motivation. 
We need to change in motivation. We need to make this transition in our mind from trying to live our lives in a way that appeases God to simply living our lives with a desire to please God. And can I tell you something? There is a massive difference between the two. It's the, it's the difference between doing something out of appreciation versus doing something out of obligation. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, husbands, just ask your wives. And you know what I mean. Because <laughs> sometimes we do things because we know we're supposed to, and we're not doing it because of this. <laughs> it's accepting who we are in Jesus and living a life of thankfulness rather than living our whole life trying to pay Jesus back for what he did for us. You know how many Christians live their life like Jesus is like this debt shark that's, that's out to, to always collect? Jesus did so much for them. They lived their entire life trying to pay Jesus back. Can I tell you something? No matter how hard you try, it's a debt you can't pay. He paid a debt. He did not owe. We, we owed a debt we could not pay. <laughs> that old song, right? Jesus came and he took our debt away. I mean, he, he's the one that did it. We couldn't do it. And it's the same. If, if, if we could not do good enough to get saved, can I tell you something? We can never do good enough to compensate what Christ did for us. It's an impossible endeavor. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, here's a reality that we have to accept. You could not be any more loved or any more accepted than you are right now in this moment if you know Christ as Savior. No matter how many good works you think you can do, no matter if you spend the next 17 years for 16 hours a day reading this thing, can I tell you something? If you know Christ, you will be no more acceptable and loved by God in that moment 16 years later than you are right now in this second. You need to accept that and believe that because that's the truth of Scripture. See, it's believing that we are no longer condemned because our sin and no matter how much we mess up, nothing's going to change that. It's the difference between serving him because you love him rather than serving him just because it's the right thing to do. That's what I'm talking. It's the motivation of the heart. It starts there. We need to have a change of motivation and we need to have a change of strategy as well. We have to make this transition in our mind that victory does not come through effort. It comes through surrender. And this is a hard thing to comprehend because it's so counterintuitive. Like, if we want to win a war, man, we got to take the battle, right? First step is we put our hands up and say, Jesus, I cannot go one step without you. If I'm going to have victory, it's only going to come through you. Always remembering the motivation. So here's the thing. We can choose to surrender to one of two entities, but make no mistake, one of two entities will control our lives. It's the nature of the Holy Spirit. The question is, how do we keep ourselves surrendered to the Holy Spirit rather than surrendered to the other? And I love the way Tony Evans, um, the, the, the preacher, put this. He said, to carry out the desire of the flesh is to live life based on a sinful human viewpoint. But to walk by the Spirit is to, one, discover God's view on a matter. How do we do that? Decide to act on that divine perspective and then depend on the Holy Spirit to empower your obedience. So, 
discovering what God wants. Can I tell you something? There is effort that has to go into the Christian life. We don't fight this war in our own power, but there is effort that has to go into the Christian life if we're going to be victorious. Like, how are we ever going to know what God wants from our lives if we never get into the book that tells us how to do it? If we don't come to church, if we don't come to Bible studies, if we're not in God's Word where we're being fed these things, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So it is a choice. We need to discover what is in God's Word. Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 tell us this. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by the means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. How do you think that happened? What are these precious promises? Where do they come from? If He's given us everything we need for a living, a godly life, how do we find that out? Right there. We have God's Word, and we have the Holy Spirit, and that's all we need. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, familiar scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we need to discover what God wants, and then we need to make a decision in our heart. And I know this seems like the opposite of what I've been saying, but just hold with me. We need to make a decision in our heart that moment by moment, day by day, I'm going to make, I'm going to be committed to making a choice that is in accordance with what God teaches here. Living for Jesus is a personal choice that we have to make every single day. We have to decide in our hearts, this is what we're going to do. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, I understand I'm talking like it's not human effort, it's not human power, but it takes a decision in our mind to follow the Lord. Because let me tell you something, the battle when we face it, it's won or lost before we get there. Before we ever enter the, enter the battle that we face in the day, it will be won and lost based on what we've done before we ever got there. Romans 13 and verse 14 says to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. How do we do that? What's, what's it mean to clothe ourselves with Christ? You know what John chapter 1 and verse 1 describes Jesus as? In the beginning was the Word. The Word of God synonymous with Jesus. To clothe ourselves with Jesus is to clothe ourselves with the Word of God. And isn't it interesting that when you look at Ephesians chapter 6 at the armor of God, where do all those things come from? Clothing ourselves with Christ. Just, just think about this, Ephesians chapter 6, just verses 10 through 12. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Remember, he, he doesn't say be strong in ourselves, in God's might. Put on God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
That is the reality of our life. And our only defense is this. Because every one of those things in the armor of God that goes on to talk, that goes on to talk about is found right here. We need to make a decision that we're going to get in this book. 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul compares the Christian life to a race. He says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They don't win the prize. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And he likens that to the Christian walk. He's like, look, we're fighting for an eternal prize, so we need to be disciplined as Christians in our lives. This means not only putting in our minds the things that we should, it's also not putting in our minds the things that we should not do. These are decisions that we make. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. And so can I tell you what this means in practical form? Just in practical everyday decisions? If you have a problem with your mouth, quit watching shows where it feeds it. Right? Right? If you, if, you, if you have an issue with lust, stay away from the TV and the computer. If it's fear, quit listening to the voices that feed the lies that bring on the fear. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So we, we discover God's word. We decide in our hearts, God, this is what I want to do. But here's where the key comes in. And I'm going to close very quickly on this point. The key comes in not by us now trying really, really hard to make that happen. Nope. Step three, depend on the Holy Spirit. Every moment of every day, we say, God, you had better take control of my life. Because if I'm left in my strength, I'm going to fall on my face every single time. And you know what's interesting about verse 16? That just that word let. It's in it's a tense in its original language, which means a continual action, which means this is the choice that we make from the moment we open our eyes in the morning to the moment our heads hit the pillow. You know when 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing? This is what it's talking about. That verse doesn't mean we're on our hands and knees, now I lay me down with all these different things, my hands folded. No, it's just constantly throughout the day saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. Oh, Lord, I'm in this frustrating situation. God, I know i got to deal with these people. God, I know I'm going here. God, I need you. Strengthen me. Help me. Lord, let your power be seen in me. That's, my friend, where victory comes. The fact is there's a war that's happening. We can't escape it. But we can have victory in it. But it doesn't come by human effort. It comes by submission and surrender to the power of God every moment of every single day. Romans 8.37 tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Why? Because of Romans 8.31. Because it says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is for us, who can stand against us? You know that psalm that I read you at the beginning? When they, the Israelites were like, God, where would we be had you not stepped in? Can I tell you something? If it wasn't for God, we would have no hope whatsoever. But because of him, we can have victory every moment of every day. All it takes is surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and for this time. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful just that you're patient with us, Lord. That God, even though sometimes we, 
no right and wrong. God, we mess up anyways. But as we've seen to God tonight, it's because every time we sin, it's an area of our life that we're not surrendered to you. So God, Lord, we all have issues. We all have areas of our life, God, that need work. And so, Father, my prayer for each one here is that, God, they would just quit trying to, to fight harder, quit trying to put more effort in, and simply just come to you and kneel at your throne in prayer and ask for your power and your strength. And God, your promise is when we surrender to you, when we let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, Father, the, the truth is we're not going to do those sinful things in our life. So God, we all know our issues, we all know our problems. So in those areas in our, of our life, God, I pray that you would give us the, the strength and the ability to come before you and allow your power to move in them. And Father God, if there be even one in this place that has never made a decision to follow you, Lord God, as their, their Lord, as their Savior, God, I pray that, that God in this moment, they would just do what they, what I said earlier, God, that they would call out to Jesus who died for them and who was buried, who, was, who rose again. God, your word says that that work that Christ did was good enough to save us. So Father, I pray that if anybody in this place has never made the decision, they would just call out to Jesus. Ask him to come into their life, to forgive them of their sins, and to be their Lord and Savior. Father God, I love you, I praise you, and it's in these things I ask in Jesus' precious mighty name. Amen. Amen. So guys, let me close.